Chapter 5 You know what you have to do, said Rachel in her kind but firm voice. I had to call anyway to tell her that we had arrived safe. While I had her, I asked her to type Levy bodies into Google. I had already run it, sitting down at the desk the second I was alone in my room and booting up the old laptop I had bought for Lavender, but it had been a mistake. The facts were laid out in such plain black font, stark against the website's white background. Scary phrases seemed to bold themselves and fill my field of vision. Cognitive decline, hallucinating animals or people, anxiety, dementia. When I had gotten to advances inexorably to death, I snapped my laptop closed with more force than what it was good for. Then I dialed my stepsister. I haven't made any decisions, I told Rachel, but my voice sounded faint. Well, good. Lavender was rustling around in her double room next door, and the sounds of her unpacking reminded me how thin the walls were. I didn't want Birchie or Watty overhearing. I haven't talked to Birchie's doctors yet. I know this feels like you're moving fast, but sweetie, no, Rachel said. Don't, not, not to be judgy, but you've been worried about Birchie and Watty's living condition for a good 10 years now. You let it slide and slide, and now you declare a state of emergency. Louis bodies were frosting on a whole bad cake. You need to be firm with them. I moved my closed laptop out of the way and pulled my sketchbook towards me. It had a pencil stuck in the spiral binding and I wrestled it out. I usually found myself doodling when I was on the phone or under stress. The pad was open to a simple drawing of violence, leaping. Her knives were out. I draw a boogery shape in front of her, long and lumpy, as I spoke. I know, but Rachel, this is Birchie, so she's so freaking invincible. It seemed wrong that the banal rules of aging and body would apply to Birchie. Rules never had before. She was a legend when it, when it, when it, she came from legends. Her grandfather had founded the town. Her father had steered it in track through the Great Depression, and Birchie herself had saved it again in 1957. That summer, Ellis Birch left abruptly for Charleston in a swirl of rumors that the family fortune was in jeopardy. An embezzler at the investment firm, some folks said, or trouble that the old overseas bank where rumor had it, Birchies still kept their black blockading money. Them Birchies didn't diversify, Jelly Mac had said with such combination of ill-concealed relish and total ignorance of the world diversified, that the, remark, that the remark became famous. The local old folks still said it back and forth, chuckling, though Jerry had been dead now for 20 years. At that time, it had not been funny. Most jobs in Birchville proper were well tied to Birch money, and the family owned most of the square. The rents could have, could have been considered as acts of charity, but they kept our downtown thriving. Alice Birch died of a massive heart attack right after arriving in Charleston, which made the rumor rumor mill go even crazier. The sky was falling, and the first for the first time, folks started, "What would Emily Birch do? She was thirty and stout and still unmarried. She had suitors as a girl, but no one good enough in Alice Birch's proud paternal eyes." He had discouraged them, which was a euphemism. One of the Mac boys had been discouraged all the way to the state line. Emily had had been seen as an old hadn't been seen as an old maid though. Her money and her name kept her separate from the ranks of perennial hopefuls 
who sat aging in a clot of sad pastelette church socials but what if the money was gone if if she was just an impoverished impoverished lady of a certain age with an ever rounding figure and no sp- family to speak of neighbors flocked to the big very white victorian with misty eyes and casseroles but she found my grandmother packing sharp tongued and sharper eyed decidedly uninterested in pity she boarded a train for the coast the very day folks assumed she was going to bring her father's body home place it reverently in the crypt behind the first baptist and sink into the li- life of genteel poverty and mourning they had underestimated her she stayed burying her father in charleston in order to finish the fiscal rescue mission he had started he took his she took his meetings with lawyers and investment bankers and she didn't come home until she until both she and bulk of the birch money had weathered the crisis how could she how could mortality touch her she kept a whole town alive seen a hundred years of history survived her own early widowhood and the loss of her only son old age should not be allowed to grind her down do you know what syncope means rachel asked is it a part of this of the lewy bodies growing in her brain i asked i didn't know that word so it hadn't leapt at me from the website yes yeah and it means fainting sudden fainting it's in the list of physical problems that she has or she will have soon also shaking dizziness loss of balance i had noticed the last one myself the last one was already there under my arm under my hand the bugari shape in front of violence had grown spindly arms with claw tips i gave it the suggestion of a thick necked head with taut blind bulges where eyes should be added high slitted nostrils i'm not saying you are wrong i said i'm only saying that it's complicated no it isn't you have to take charge for her now it's time ask yourself how many sets of stairs are in that house do you want her to spend the last year or two of her life in traction in miserable pain from a broken hip she can't stay there it's as simple as that it's simple if you ask yourself the right questions i asked i thought i wanted to, i wanted reach i i thought i wanted rachel's certainty but she was as hard and sharp as those black letters on the website she advanced inexorably too my pencil scratched over the paper shading are you still there she asked i'm here but i don't think family things get simpler if you ask the right questions i said i made sure there were no snipe or snarks in my voice as i added could the right question simplify what's happening with jake now it was rachel's turn for silence i started drawing a second eyeless bugari monster violence versus the louis bodies point taken rachel said at last her voice tight just promise me you'll keep your eyes open those old little old ladies have been lying to you they'll fool you if you let them the way you're talking i think you really really want to get fooled i promise and how are things with you have you heard from jake no rachel said suddenly brisk i need to go start dinner what what was what was this is this a core for mind your own damn business leah because she was just going to new kaleen cuisine Lav was with me. Jack was in the wind, and she never cooked for herself. I unpacked and took a shower, trying to wash the road and a little bit of mingled grief and anger off me. Rachel had a point, but was it wrong to have a single peaceful evening? The smell of roasted hens, peppery and succulent, wafted up the stairs as I got dressed.
like a sensory argument for respite. Birchie would serve them with flat side fat slices of the summer's first heirloom tomatoes from the back garden and her famous cornbread. To make it, she served she saved bacon drippings in a coffee can by the stove and she'd put some of that grease in the cast iron cast iron skillet and set it on the oven. She'd make batter while the rendered fat gets so hot that it was close to smoking. The sizzle of the batter landing in that pan was the kitchen soundtrack of my youth. I didn't know if the if was the, if, it, if it was the urge for peace came from the sweetness or from being scared though was it cowardice to enjoy one dinner in the company of a favorite niece my only living birch relative and my much loved watty surely it was my best self that was saying i could start spying and deciding tomorrow but the voice of rachel in my head was asking could birchy still make her cornbread there was no written recipe does she remember maybe she was standing in the kitchen as blank as a sheet of brand new paper while watty made it as part of their ongoing little old lady conspiracy I was too disheartened for any more conversations so I sent brief updating emails to mom and Keith and my friend Margo who had been feeding my feral cat at 6 I tapped on adjoining door that linked my bedroom to Lav's room in Turret she was sprawled on the daybed deeply immersed in the mysteries of her cell phone she there was no dresser in the round room but I saw lavender shorts and t-shirts stacked neatly color coded in the shelving four pairs of shoes and her rain boots stood in a tidy row on the floor dinner time i said and she got up and followed me out and down the stairs texting and talking to me at the same time how long do you think we are going to be here she didn't sound as aggrieved as she had on the drive probably because she is hung around outside with her daddy and boys until their cell phones had beeped to call them home that was new and yet the same butchville was so small so known and safe and kids still roamed at will When I was at Lab's age, most of my summer friends' mothers hollered their names in long pick calls to retrieve them. The well-off ones sent their housekeepers out to do it. But she rang a distinctive brass bell on from the porch. It could be heard from any place on the square, and woe betide me if I did not come at once. But she rang it herself. She was above pick calls, and she hadn't been a housekeeper since her father died. She was famous for it. She'd come home from Charleston in morning clothes, but a week later she traded them for bridal white and married a green grocer Floyd Briggs. Then she offered Vina, Watty's mother, a fat pension that she could retire. Vina had worked on the beaches from sun up to supper time 6 days a week for most of her life. She had more than earned it. But she did for herself after that even the year she was pregnant. Her father had been a proud man, more revered than beloved. He had been Mr. Birch, never Ellis to every single person in town. My grandmother wanted it known that the new reigning Birch was not too uppity to keep her own floors clean. In recent years, I had insisted on hiring a ro- rotating cast of local girls to help her with the heavy work and laundry, but she still cooked and kept her garden. Although now She had been planting tic tacs I guess. I guess what he was doing more and more of these things. We'll need to stay a week or two at least I told Lavender. I wasn't sure of anything including how bad of Bertie it truly was. How long could could they have been lying to me? On the way through the parlor, my Rachel sharpened gaze caught on two upholstered chairs. 
sitting side by side, facing out the big front window, so close their arms touched, made me stop short, noticing that the Victorian love seats facing each other on the, in the front of the fireplace. Lavender rammed into my back. What? She said. She didn't look up from the phone. Nothing. The love seat from the left hand had matching tarbles at the end, one stacking up with Birchie's bookmarked philistical book and several novels, the other holding what is Jane King James Bible and the book The Immortal Life of Henry Lax. Nearby, the tiny round coffee table on the wide end of the wrapping porch had its two chairs pulled around to one side, backs against the wall of the house, ostensibly so that they could both have a clear view at the scale. All the furniture in the house had been re-angled and rearranged so that Birchie and Watty could sit like honeymooners crowding in on one side of the restaurant booth. It hadn't always been that way. It happened in gradual steps, though I hadn't noticed from visit to visit. These days, even when they are standing, Watty's bad knees and Birchie's poor vision kept them arm in arm, giving Watty near constant access to Birchie's best two good ears. How deeply did Louis bodies have their hooked claws in Birchie's brain? I wondered. I took a long, slow breath, trying to lower my heart rate. My pregnancy handbook had a judgy tone and quite a lot to say about the effect of stress upon poor Digby. I doubted it would recommend barraging him with oscillating grief and anger hormones. We went into the kitchen, through the dining room, dining room door. Birchie and Watty were at the stove, loading up the plates. By the back door, a recessed nook held a narrow rectangular table. It was set for dinner, telling me the same story as the other furniture. I always sat on the built-in bench seat under the window, while Birchie and Watty sat side by side, looking out at the backyard garden. But not this time. I deliberately, deliberately pulled Watty's chair for lavender, saying, You hungry? You can sit there. So much for peace and sweetness. Rachel was right. I needed my eyes to be opened. I needed to see how much of Birchie was still present without her co-conspirators whispered as his lavender plopped into her chair, eyes still on her screen. She reached blindly for the glass already set beside her plate and took a big slurp. Her eyes widened. She finally looked up from her phone, startled and so horrified that I thought she might spit it right out. Oh God, what is that? As soon as she could, she could swallow. Tea, I said. Rachel brewed tea strong and served it sugarless, spiced, spiced it with so much cinnamon and lemon that it was practically an astringent. Lav gave me a look of pure disbelief that I amended it. Sweet tea, I corrected. Birchie and Watty came over, each carrying two loaded plates. Birchie came right to her usual spot setting the plates and sitting without seeming to notice Lavender, but Watty stopped short and she, as she clocked my teenage-assisted coup. She gave me a long, reproachful look as she set her plates. I dropped my gaze. Watty's part in this cover-up was not purely altruistic. Her two own sons had wanted her to move into assisted living when, the drivers, when her driver's license got revoked. She moved in with... Birchie instead, a compromise that would work only as long as the both of them stayed healthy. Bow your heads, what he said, sliding in onto the bench beside me. Lav reflexively stuffed her phone into the back pocket. Rachel did not allow phones on the table. We joined hands as Watty launched into the blessing. 
what his husband had been redemption baptist preacher for decades and what he was a devout as they came she settled into thank god in great detail for food and family safe travels and the beauty of the day all her words were aimed directly heavenward not at me but at the same time she had my hand in a grip so tight it quality it qualified as a pinching she was ill with me for giving lav her seat all right and that in or of itself said that quite a bit how much cover birchy needed these days i sneaked a peek around the table and what he was the only person with her eyes closed birchy glared disapproval at lavender's hand as if it were the blood soaked paw of some unclean animal lavender stared off sideways oblivious not listening when she saw me watching she snapped an appropriately holy look onto her face and shut her eyes in the name of jesus i pray these things what he said eventually we all echoed her amen all of us except birchy who was now staring openly at lavender trouble written in the powdered creases of her forehead i'm really glad you set the table in here i said to call her attention i wanted to get birchy talking but i also meant it usually an extra small person was enough for birchy to declare that we had company and move us to the very formal dining room with its massive wall and furniture there's a huge china cabinet loomed across the longest wall chock full of silver pieces and birchy's mother's white wedding china my dining room at home featured a gaming table and built in china hunch held my wonder woman action figures 87 mint mint in package versions dating back to 1966 i did not do formal very well i guess but she peered at me across the table beg pardon i said i meant to be enjoy eating here in the kitchen nook like you folks but she looked at what's place blinking with my myopic suspicion that she found lavender again instead pass the salt what he said Birchy and Birchy located her across the table. She smiled in obvious relief, handing the shaker across. Wadi held Birchy's gaze, cueing her. This is a fine place for supper. As Leah's knees, Lavender counts as family. Yes, Lavender counts as family, Birchy parroted. I didn't like the way her words matched what is so completely. I said, it's much cozier than anywhere else here anyway, I guess. Virgie turned her bird-eyed gaze on me. Well, I like a dining room sometimes. A meal with company should feel like something of something of its own occasion. Still, and yet, I don't think it aids my digestion when my father isn't watching watching every bite I chew. He doesn't like me to be so stout. She said it as if her actual long-dead father were waiting in the dining room to disapprove of the butter on her cornbread or something. I hoped she was making a little joke referencing to the oil portrait hanging along the wall behind the table's head. I told her, "If you want me to, I can take your father's pictures down, and there's a ton of other paintings in the attic. I could dig that pair of sharp ship paintings for you you always liked. They're about the same size, I guess." "You think that would be easy to take my father out of this house?" which is her demise. "It can't be done. You could burn the portrait, but he would still be present." My father was born in this house and his picture has been hanging for the on the wall for decades. He was never an easy man to shift. And this this was purely purely butch. She was still in there even if the lying had been going on for longer than I hoped. I buttered my cornbread picking sideways at Watty. 
I found her staring openly at me as if to say whatever my grammar version of in your face might be. So the portrait stays, okay? I said, taking a bite. If Woody had made this batch of cornbread, she had done it perfectly. It had crisp edges, a tender middle, like a salty donut. It tasted like my childhood. I think the portrait must stay, yes. Virgie agreed, and then she added, even though daddy could be a blue-perfect asshole. I choked on my bite, and Lavender released a snort of shocked laughter. I did not know what was weirder, coming out of Virgie's mouth, the expletive, or the criticism of her revered father. Virgie, I said when I could swallow, my niece is here. Lavender probably heard that word a minimum of nine times an hour at school, but never from the sweet pink mouth of an old Baptist lady. Oh, for goodness sake, Leah, but she said lightly, get off your high horse. Everybody is an asshole. Lavender was giggling pretty openly now. I giggled. I, I realized that under the table, my treacherous hand was moving towards covering Digby's nascent ears. This has put me in danger of catching the giggles as well. But she seemed to realize that she had said very wrong. She had said something very wrong. She was looking at me, but her body canted ever so slightly toward Lavender, no doubt waiting for a whisper. Lav had both arms clapped towards her mouth, trying to stifle herself. But she turned to look at the place where Watty could have been and was startled anew by my niece. Who is this? She demanded. All at once, she, turned, she sounded querulous and very, very old. Who is this girl? Why does she keep being here? That's my niece, Birchie. Don't you know? Remember? I said gently, all the laughter gone. Then why is she staring at me like I'm on the gigged fish? Was this child not raised to have even one manner? It was very Birchie's turn of face. Said in a very imperious voice, which made it even more sadder somehow. She was there, but she was not all there. I said, Lavender was surprised to hear you say, I found I could not repeat the word, not at this childhood table where I once said put and then was struck in an hour-long lecture about a relationship between my vocabulary choices and the moral decay of the nation. She's my niece, remember? Of course I remember, of course I do, but why is she here? May I be excused? Lavender asked, a small voice. There is no excuse for you, but she trumpeted, turning on her. What he said, enough, in a tone that proved no argument. She rose ponderously to her feet, and at that moment, Birchie looked and saw the shape of her friend. She face-wiped itself almost clean of expression, like an old-fashioned blackboard. Streaks of thought were still dusted across it, but they were unreadable. Change seats with me, Body ordered Lavender, swapping out their plates and cups with brisk, angry motions. Did I do something wrong? Lav asked, and I felt sorry that I had put in an odd line of fire. No, child, hush. You didn't do anything wrong, except you barely touch your hen. You are not as big as a half-buck. It's only Birchie that needs things to be a certain way these days. And changing them up, it was a pure meanness to her. Pure and simple meanness. Just as when she earned her disapproval as a girl, I found myself shrink nine full sizes. Lavender and Watty switch sides. Watty still talking to me with her hard-edged reproach. Nights are difficult for her. Mornings are much better. Isn't that right? But she nodded, calmly reaching her for another piece of cornbread. I moved garden club to 10 a.m. Martina Mac acted like she was going to eat a baby. 
If I had known she'd hate it as much, I would have moved it years ago. Wadi handed her butter. Bertie took it, her body naturally canting towards her friend. I only wanted to, I said, but Wadi spoke over me. You eat up too. She cut her eyes at Lavender, and when they came back, they rested on me. They were dark with angry promise. My niece's tiny person was only a flimsy barrier between me and something strong and filled with righteous fury. We all went back to eating, though I could hardly taste the food. Lavender stuffed five bites down, fast as she could. It was so deadly quiet that I could hear a buzzy hum of texts and emails landing in her phone. Into the fraught silence, Lavender said, That was really delicious, thank you. She had been raised to say these words at dinner, even if her hostess served up offal. May I be pleased ex- excused? I nodded. She gave my knee a quick squeeze under the table. She knew I was in for it. Then she squirted away, already reaching for the phone in her back pocket. I heard her clattering up the stairs, the slim wall of her protection gone. I'm sorry, I said both of them. That was low, the seat thing. I wasn't sure if Bertie knew what I was apologizing for, but she inclined her head in a gracious acceptance. Yes, it was. We can be playing with one another now. That sparked me, and I got a little size back. You should have been playing with me all along. Maybe I wouldn't have pulled that trick if you hadn't done so much sneaking. Wadi shrugged, an angry sharp motion. I love you, Leah, always have, but you aren't mine to fool. That took me a second, but Birchie said, No, you are mine to fool, sugar. So you're both saying Birchie made her own choices, like always. But Okay, but how long was it? Wadi's uh, nostrils flared, a danger signal, but I kept on asking the hard questions. Richard had pleasured me to ask. You are deciding things now, Wadi. Only thing you have decided was to keep me in the dark. Child, Butch is right. You are so perched up the way you were. You are still on that high horse, but you are reliable to fall and break your tailbone. Butch made those decisions, but she could. She's keeping them from me. Butch said, I lose track sometimes, but she'll tell you true. So hear me, Wadi said. So in tune of this, their sentences almost overlapped. She wants to stay here. It's not safe, I said. Wattie and Birchie exchanged a speaking glance. Birchie actually laughed. You think dying should be safe? Wattie asked, equally amused. You know what I mean. Your sons have had this talk with you, Wattie, more than once. Same as I have with Birchie. You and she both need to be living someplace else without stairs and where there are no doctors on call. You should at least have a home home help for years now. And But you fought us on that too, and we gave up. Now things have to change. How long did Bertie, Bertie get this diagnosis? A few years back, what he said, evasive, but it was enough to feel make me feel gut-punched. Tears started up in my eyes, and seeing that, what his face crumpled a little, even though as she started, sat up straighter, indignant. I'm doing the best I know. I'm doing the best that I know how to do. And truth told, I wish it was me, because she would do the same thing I was doing. I'm losing my friend, and there's no one left to stand like this for me. My husband left for heaven way too soon before me. We raised our sons to be fine people, but she's when she's gone, of course they're going to put me in a home someplace, for my own good, they'll say, for safety, they'll say, just like you. We don't want that, Bertie said. Now, now, now. 
She took Wati's hand. Wati looked at her and the naked sorrow on her face undid for me. That was hard and horrible. It's not fair. I know there's nothing fair about it, I said. But I had seen enough to know that Rachel was right. As usual, I knew what I had to do and I owed Wati to the truth of it right then. She had given it to me, so I gave her back. I am going to talk to her doctor. But I think you'll have a good idea of what he'll tell me. You and Birchie can't stay here. The closest hospital is 30 miles away. What is heavy lids shuttered down over her eyes. For the first time, she couldn't meet her grace. Dr. Petri must have told, this, must have told her this already. There's a hard change coming, Wati, and it is coming fast. I hated my own town. I sounded like Rachel talking to Lavender. The time lab announced that she was going to, hide, she was going to dye her hair hot pink. Wati tried to exchange a look with Birchie, but Birchie wasn't looking back. As I had spoken, Birchie had checked out. She slumped in her seat, staring blankly past my head into the garden. I went on. You need to talk to your sons, Wati. I can talk to Sam and Stephen too. If you and Birchie want to stay together, we can work that out. You get to have a say. Wati, Wati wasn't quite done yet. You want my say? You move down here. We can make the swing room into a bedroom for her, so no strays. Except for the seven on the front porch and the long, steep flight down from the back door, I thought. But what you were still talking. Move from move to Alabama. It was so matter of fact that I knew it was not a spur of a moment idea. I had a spur of a moment answer, though it was it was a resounding hell hell no. But he must have seen it on my face because she got louder and more urgent. Hear me out now. You aren't married. And you don't even have a fellow, not for serious. You can draw pictures any place. You only got to think about yourself, so why not think about Birchie? Her dismissal of my whole life hurt. She spoke as if work for me meant lolling on a cushy chair, scribbling and hooking back bonbons, not a real career with deadlines and travel, as if Mom and Keith and Lavender and Rachel didn't count as family, and my Tuesday gamers and my church community were nothing. But even, even if I want to uproot myself, now there was Digby. I could feel him fluttering and flexing a second heartbeat at my very center. I had to think of him first. People are like this, Rachel had told me once. Putting a peachy pink Crayola that she used to call flesh into my hand. As if all the flesh mattered was that color. That crayon was called peach now, but the ideas presented in the old name were still alive and present present everywhere, all across the county, but more overt in Birchville. I wouldn't raise Digby in some small town south, even though there was a lot of good here. Kids still ran free in packs, unafraid, unscheduled, still came home for supper by bells, only now the bells were kept inside their phones. We had good neighbors who made me caramel cakes when I visited and kept me in the Facebook group and on the phone tree, even when I was seven or 700 miles away. Birchie and my father and I had been born here. We were all born here. And to me, there was no pretty county than the deep greens and the black browns, the sunny blues of rural Alabama. But it was in 1987 here in more ways than one. So it was like, a, uh, I didn't want my bi biracial son growing up in a town where Wati was the only black face ever seen in the crowd down walking down the First Baptist Especially since half of the folks there pretended that she was the help. Virtue was the only white face ever seen on the regular at Redemption. 
Here the white families with means sent their kids to a small lily-colored private school one town over. The county's public schools were poorly rated and the black kids and the white kids sat at different lunch tables. I didn't want to bring my pregnancy up now though. The conversation was hard enough to keep on track without the ultimate derailments my Digby news would bring. Plus, I wanted Birchie to hear it first. And as good news, not blurted out in anger. I would not use Digby as my trump card and in an ugly argument. Right now, Birchie was, wasn't even fully present, even though her eyes were fixed on me. Her, bar, her body sat in her chair, listening more and more towards Watty every minute. I am sorry, Watty. Call your sons in the morning. We need to plan a trip to Norfolk soon, so you can look at options. You two are going to have to move. Watty stared at me, silent and sturdy and impassive against the wall. We'll see, she said. And in the foyer, my grandfather clock began chiming seven. By that time, Birchie pushed back her chair and stood as if on autopilot, her eyes fixed at the middle distance. Watty stood too. I have to start doing her bedtime things now. I came came around the table to kiss Birchie on her powdery soft cheek. She didn't respond. I usually kiss Watty too, but she did not seem kissable just now. Her eyes on me were hard and dark as chips of onyx. Her pointed chin was tilted up at me. Let me help her put her to bed, I said, propitiating. She took she shook her head no, and then, to my surprise, she kissed me. Her lips on my cheek were as cool as stones from the black garden. I do this every night and she needs everything to stay just the same. You hear me? Leave things the way they were. You leave things lie, the stone lips said. And by the end, it didn't sound like she was talking about putting Birchie to bed. It sounded like a warning.